today's episode of the Wave Podcast, we have Gunnar Henderson is the unanimous American League Rookie of the Year. Not a surprise to anybody. We've been singing his praises all year long, it seems like, and we've been hammering the drum that he's the Rookie of the Year for quite some time now. It is now confirmed Gunnar Henderson is the 2023 AL Rookie of the Year by unanimous decision. He becomes the first Oriole since Greg Olson did it in 1989 to win the award. We're super pumped for Gunnar, and we start off the show by singing his praises once again. Unfortunately, we have to move on from there to discuss another Ravens loss, another fourth quarter Ravens loss, 33-31 at the hands of the Cleveland Browns. Really just a frustrating game all the way around. The Browns out-bullied us, out-physicaled us, did what we normally do to teams to us, and Josh and I break it all down. We're talking what exactly went wrong, where we need to fix, and what we need to fix ahead of Thursday's matchup with the Cincinnati Bengals. Speaking of that matchup, we preview all about it. We get into the matchups, we get into the injuries, we get into the headlines coming into the game. We talk a little bit about Joe Burrow and the Bengals losing to Houston last week and C.J. Stroud. We talk a little bit about what we want to see out of Lamar and Todd Munkin and John Harbaugh this week. We get into the numbers and the analytics of both teams and their units on both sides of the ball. We see where the Ravens might have uh, some weaknesses that they can exploit on the Cincinnati Bengals side. Lastly, we talk a little bit of college football, wrap up week 11 and preview week 12. And last order of business, as always, NFL Week 11 Best Bets. Thank you all for coming back. Here we go. Episode 79. Welcome back to the Wave Podcast. Today is Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. Josh, how are you, man? How was your weekend? Oh, I've been better. <laughs> I've, definitely been, <laughs> I've definitely been better. It started off such a good weekend, too. Um, like, you know, gosh, I mean, you had a lot of great college football Saturday that was really awesome mm-hmm. to watch. Um, Liberty won. Maryland won a game, which they got their bowl eligible win, which is all you can ever want as a Maryland fan. We're not going to talk about Maryland basketball because it's not Christmas yet and the season just doesn't count yet in my mind. Um, But yeah, it's all about a great weekend. Then Sunday happened and that was like the first hour I felt great. And then everything that could go wrong did and we're going to talk about it. Um, I do want to say props to me because I handled this loss. This is like the most mature I think I've ever handled a disappointing loss like that in my life. (laughs) Like, I immediately rationalized it, like took a deep breath, didn't flip out, didn't like yell or scream or throw anything, just was upset, let it go through and then like, okay, we can rationalize this. This is like, yeah, but I was eager to, I could have recorded last night, honestly, recording right now on a Monday, which is rare for us, but I, I'm ready to talk about this game. I know we have other things to talk about, but um, a lot of talking points for the game last night, for sure. 100%. Yeah, I feel that for sure. I, I like you, man, I was ready to record at 431 Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Like I just, and not even for the obvious reasons, we'll, we'll get into it once we dive yeah. into our, our yeah. recap, but I'm, I'm with you, man. I, 
I feel like I also handled it pretty maturely. Um, for whatever reason, this one pissed me off more than the other losses that we've had on the season. I guess maybe because it's a it's a divisional game. Um, but I, I, I'm with you. I was very like vibes were high going into Sunday. Saturday was a great day. Like you mentioned, all the great college football. We had a, a, a ton of really good games. Um, I also got I got I played some golf on Saturday. Like had a we had a big group go out at um, Mountain Branch up here in Harco. And we did like, I think we had like 14 people. We did like a big sort of like scramble tournament and my team ended up winning. I think we were like three, we were like three under for the day uh, between the the three guys on on the team. So yeah, we were all, we were playing some pretty good golf. It was great to get out there with all the boys and yeah, had had a great day Saturday, rode that high going into Sunday. And then, uh, you know, obviously the game went the way it did, but like I said, we're going to dive into that a little bit more in a second here Uh, before we do though. Uh, Josh, like you said, we're recording on a Monday night, which is rare for us. Um, reason being uh, is, is twofold. First reason, uh, we're recording this a little bit early this week because the Ravens have a short week playing on Thursday. So when the Ravens have a short week, we have a short week. Um, and then the second reason being uh, because we wanted to uh, analyze this game while it was still fresh in our minds. Uh, so we're we're going to try and get out of that as well. But uh, like I said, we have some we have some news, uh, some positive news to talk about before we go ahead and dump uh, dive into the <clears throat> excuse me, dive into the Ravens. Uh, Monday, November 13th, 2023, Gunnar Henderson is officially your AL Rookie of the Year, unanimous AL Rookie of the Year. I don't think this is a surprise to anybody. Uh, and if it is, it definitely shouldn't be. But uh, I wanted to shed some light on that and just, you know, give the proper respects because. Gunner had a phenomenal year. Um, I think he's the first rookie in Orioles uh, history to win it since like Greg Olson in like the mid or late nineties. I think I don't remember when it was, but it's been a while since we've had a rookie of the year. Um, Couldn't be more deserving. Like there was no one in the AL that even came close to what he did really the last, like since May, like he was just far and away the best rookie um, I think at times he could have made a case to be in the MVP conversation. Obviously, nobody was going to come close to Shohei and what he did. But um, I, I, I started saying it, I believe, in like June or July that Gunner is was uh, the best American baseball player on the planet. And um, I think, you know, this all but proves that. So, like I said, just wanted to, to give him his flowers. Unanimous rookie of the year. Um, that's a really big deal. Um, so anyway, shout out to Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, absolutely. The, and I feel like a lot of season kind of ended just sourly and everyone didn't leave a bad taste. Never everyone once mouth. People just kind of forgot about the Orioles because everything was full steam head on the Ravens after the, uh, swift playoff exit, but he had mm-hmm. a great year. Um, the first, like you said, the first like rookie of the year in a long time, I think since we've been born, if not longer than that, um, for real for the Orioles, it just shows how great that the job of Mike Elias and all those guys and um, Brandon Hyder doing and getting the right guys when they did, uh, it made the five years of losing worth it. Um, and we have a good core and the future is bright for the Orioles. The window is just get, becoming open for the Orioles, which is awesome. Um, and this just proves how talented they are at finding those guys, getting them in the right position and calling them up at the right areas. And then the guys, you know, like Gunner performing at a very high level early on. And it's awesome. And Adley performed this high level. He didn't win rookie of the year, but like last year, but like 
He performed at a high level. So it's the future's bright. And uh, we still have Jackson Holiday coming up in the system. So I wouldn't be surprised if he wins the next year, honestly. 100%. And, and and those are all really good points. You know, you talk about Adley last year. Adley, pro- I mean, he I think he finished second or third in rookie yeah. of the year race in the AL. But, I mean, if if he if he was on the roster to start the season, which I believe he was supposed to, and then he had that weird tricep injury that kept him off the, the big league roster until like May when he came up late May. If yeah. he's on the big league roster to start the season, it doesn't have that injury. I think the race between him and Julio Rodriguez is a lot closer. And obviously I, I'm not taking anything away from Julio. Julio is an incredible baseball player and 100% deserve that rookie of the year. But that's a really good point about Adley. Um, speaking of Adley, he won a silver slugger this year. So shout out to Adley yep. silver slugger at the catcher position in a second year in the bigs. Also shout out uh, Tony Taters winning a silver slugger as well. Um, but no, you're, you're absolutely right. Like this, not only is this a testament to Gunner and uh, his adapting to the big league game, it's also a yeah. testament to Mike Elias, to Brandon Hyde, to everyone in the developmental staff and uh top to bottom in the organization, all the way down to uh, the coaches and the scouts and everyone involved at like the Aberdeen level. Um, yeah. It, it really does go top to bottom. Um, Gunner has, has developed excellently and that's both on Gunner and the, and the coaches and the scouts and all who have been helping him. So yeah, really good point on all that. Uh, the future is extremely bright for the Orioles. Now I think the attention pivots to getting these guys extended and yeah, you and I have talked about that a little bit uh, in months yeah. prior. We know how that goes with Orioles ownership. Um, all we can do at this point is just hope that they get it worked out and they figure something out. I uh, I think Elias at least will be banging the drum pretty hard for getting these cornerstone guys locked up. And, and um, the way that I'm kind of approaching it mentally is I know that Elias is going to do everything in his power to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, at that point, it's just a matter of, you know, if, if Uncle John's going to sign the check or not. But Elias has done his job. He's drafted the right pieces uh, as we head into free agency or actually, you know, Major League Baseball. Free agency is already underway. We uh, we have to prioritize getting the right vet signings and, you know, adding the supplemental p- pieces to this nucleus that we have. So that way we can go on and make a run. But anyway, like I said, I just wanted to shout out to uh, Gunnar Henderson, unanimous rookie of the year. Absolutely deserving of it. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm really excited to see where this team goes. Yeah, I am too. Again, like I said, windows just getting open. It's going to be great baseball for a while in Baltimore. I would love to see these guys signed sooner rather than later, hopefully before, you know, February, January, Christmas time. It'll be cool to see those extensions come through for Adley and, um, you know, Gunner, but, uh, we'll see what happens. Oh, wow. Bill's just humbled the ball in the first, sorry, not the interrupter, but the fourth <laughs> wall. No, you're good. (laughs) First play. That was weird. I saw Broncos. Anyway, um, back to the Orioles. Yeah. Wow. Um, The 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 Bills the Bills making a mistake on the first play of the game. What a shame. Yeah. Hate to see it. Do they make the playoffs (laughs) this year? Like Uh, as of right now, they're out. They're on the outside looking in. So do do enough AFC North teams lose, and do they get enough wins to like climb out of the hole that they're in early on? They're going to have to turn a lot of things around on defense. Well, and on offense, I guess, because uh, they just yeah. they have not looked good for the last like four weeks. But I, I, hey, I saw it, that. It, it begs it begs the question. It begs the question. Yeah, I, I saw a blind resume that we could talk about a little bit later on. We get into NFL, but it made me it made me kind of think about some things. A blind resume that I saw was very interesting in regards to two quarterbacks in the AFC. But um, again, we can get into that a little bit later. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, anyway, so last on the Orioles, shout out Gunnar Henderson, shout out Michael Elias, shout out to Brandon Hyde, everybody involved. Uh, couldn't couldn't deserve it more. There is nobody that deserved this award more. So really happy for Gunnar. Now we get to move on to the Ravens. Um, we mentioned it a little bit at the top. Obviously, a disappointing day, uh, disappointing loss, just a disappointing Sunday. Ravens lose 33-31. Uh, they lose another game in which they had a two-score fourth-quarter lead. Um, that has really been the story uh, coming out of this game. The Browns led in this football game for a total of zero minutes and zero seconds. The Ravens, wire-to-wire, um, at least on the scoreboard, they had the game in hand. However, I I see the game a little bit differently uh, in that regard. I have been um, not pounding the drum because I haven't been super loud about it, but you know, talking to talking to you, Josh, and talking to some of my other friends, uh, the way that I saw this game is the Ravens got out to an early lead. Kyle Hamilton makes an incredible play on that pick six, um, and then on the next drive, it was a it was a fantastic drive. You know, you you get you get the ball and, and you drive right down the field and you score a touchdown. Keaton Mitchell continues to be electrifying gets the ball on his first touch 39 yards to the house really quick 14 point lead and from then on out at least from the end of the third first quarter the browns dominated the game the browns out physical the ravens the browns basically just ran the ball down our throats and on defense they in the trenches were more than we could handle whether it was Miles Garrett, whether it was Zadarius Smith, Ronnie Stanley had a really tough day. Pat McCarry, for as well as he played last week against Seattle, gave up a, a few pressures and, and didn't really look himself either. You and I texted a couple times throughout the game. The the lack of using Ricard and Charlie Kohler was um, head scratching to say the least. But the the overwhelming discourse coming out of this game is you know, the Ravens lose another game where they had a fourth quarter lead two score lead. Is this the same old Ravens? Blah, blah, blah. The, the Harbaugh haters are out in abundance yet again. They are um, out and proud right now. So, yeah. So I'll just I'll turn it over to you for your thoughts. But that's kind of just the the 30,000 foot view of the aftermath from this game. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like this is very frustrating. And this pattern is like. It's 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 past concerning at this point, just because things don't seem to be changing, no matter really the formula of it is still like the same results over and over again, which is very frustrating. Um, you know, I don't really know if there's one person to point to blame to. I don't think it's that like complex. I think it's, I think it's a very broad brush as far as that goes. Cause I think if you look at all three losses, they all are like, they all have a similar form of us blowing these late, but they all have a different like reason for it. Let's get the Colts could not, ag- could not agree more. I could not agree more. Let's look at the Colts loss. Going back to that. If we, you know, don't bear catch the ball. We win that game. A couple calls guard way that way. We win the game. If the offense doesn't sputter out at times, we win the game. If we catch a ball, like legit, just catch a couple passes here and there. You win that Michael game. Pittman doesn't make an absolutely incredible Randy Moss esque catch over two defenders. Like, yeah, yeah, Ray, 100%. Ray Gay, uh, I can't, Matt, Matt Gay, Gay, Matt Gay, Matt Gay, Matt Gay, four 50 yarders. Yeah, absolutely. And I even think Justin Tucker had a missed field, just had two missed field goals that game or one. Um, I think he had one miss from like 59 and yep. one that got blocked. Exactly. Those things usually don't happen, although special teams, uh, 
yeah, this is this is getting concerning at this point. Um, yep. Again, so that's the Colts game. You know, rough coaching, rough coaching decision to do the fair catch. And again, one decision, and then drop balls and miss miss things just don't bounce your way. Again, that mm-hmm. happens. The Pittsburgh game, your offense did not show up and do enough in that game, and you had could not catch a break, you couldn't put them away, and you don't play a full sixty minutes on off. You don't play complimentary football by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, that game and that game, that game too. You you talk about complimentary football. That's an excellent point because that game. The offense outside of, you know, Lamar Jackson, like all of our receivers just co- coincidentally had the worst day of their careers on the same exact day. Like, the, you know, the horse has been beaten dead at this point, but eight drop passes, three of them were touchdowns. Yep. The difference in Lamar's stat sheet, not even counting run after the catch, just if everybody catches the balls that are in their hands, it's a vastly different game. We probably win that game right. by three scores. So yeah. I, I absolutely agree yeah. with you. Yeah. And uh, maybe not three scores, know. but. That's fair. That's fair. But the way that I look at this game is it wasn't necessarily a lack of execution. Like I said, it was really just we got beat like the feeling, the overwhelming feeling that I got after this game. And uh, shout out to Spencer Schultz at Ravens for Dummies on Twitter. He kind of echoed this as well. Just felt like Cleveland wanted it more which mm-hmm. I think may be the most concerning thing as far as the Ravens go, because for them to be out desired by the Cleveland Browns at home, leading the division, you have a chance to really assert yourself as a top two or three team in the NFL. And Cleveland just comes in straight up bullies you out physicals. You just shows mm-hmm. that they out heart you like that's, that's maybe the most concerning part about this game. Um, they were down both starting offensive tackles and a backup tackle. Um, We, and it's not like we didn't have chances to get home. I mean, we had four sacks in the game. Probably should have had, probably should have had more, you know, should have had probably seven or eight total. Um, But, you know, credit to Deshaun Watson, which is maybe the only time you'll hear me say that credit to Deshaun Watson for, you know, being strong, being physical, getting out of tackles and even, you know, got dinged up a few times in the game and, and continued to make stuff happen. He uh, he he played tough and he he showed, like I said, he wanted it more. He refused to go down. They gave so many opportunities to us to -hmm. put this game away. And I think I said to you, like it felt to me and not even just this game alone, you know, going back to a couple other losses this year and previous. It feels to me like this is sort of an ideological problem with the Ravens. I don't I don't necessarily think it's a Harbaugh thing. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. I truly don't know. But to me, it feels like the Ravens, when they get up like that, you know, unless it's, you know, a 30 point lead like they had in a couple of weeks prior, they're kind of in this in between sort of limbo where it's like we don't know if we want to be conservative, play shell, you know, try to just bleed out the clock or be aggressive. There, there are times where they're they look like they're trying to do one of each, but never sticking to one plan in that situation. Right. So they end up straddling the fence and it it never ends well. So like like I said, I don't really know what the issue is, but they had every opportunity to win the game. Like I said, Kyle Hamilton makes a phenomenal play on the second play of the game. Pick six instantly. You're spotted at seven points. And then, you know, next, next possession, Keaton Mitchell, 40 yard house call. Odell Beckham. He took a 40 yard slant to the house. Like, put you up i think the score was 24 to 9 at that point maybe or yeah something it was about 24 to 9 something like that yeah yeah like, the end just, zone until the second half 
absolutely. And then, you know, James Prochet, MV yeah, Prochet, shout out, shout out to him. He muffs a punt on his own, like 10 yard line or 15 yard line, sets up a Gus Edwards goal line touchdown in the which fourth took, quarter. Which took about five minutes because there were just penalties and mistakes and miscues and stuff like that. So you chew up clock along with that. And then exactly. you, yeah. And then everything just kind of hits the fan and it's just not good football at that point. Um, but there were a lot of things even before we got to that point that concerned me. I didn't know if you caught this step. The graphic kept showing this a little bit. Um, the Ravens were over four on third downs throughout the middle mm-hmm. of the third quarter, if not the middle of the fourth quarter. That's mm-hmm. not winning football. That's not, that's not even Ravens football. You don't, you're, that means you're not organizing drives. You're not going down the field and orchestrating, like, you know, matriculating the ball down the field. You're just hitting home runs and not wasting clock and not playing good offense that's not good offense you're having good offensive plays and explosive plays mm-hmm. but you're not moving the ball well that's just lapses and defenses that you just so happen to find and capitalize a little bit on but that's not consistent um that's just not consistent it's not play. sustainable it's, it's, it's not, not sustainable, sustainable at all and 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 that was another thing that i was kind of you know trying to hammer home in conversations that i was having in the last you know 24 hours or so from the second quarter on Start of the second quarter all the way through the end of the game. The Ravens offense was not able to sustain a real drive. Yep. If you look, Michael Lombardi, who I know in the past has said some dumb shit, and Jason Kelsey even called him out for it at the at the Eagles Super Bowl parade, which was hilarious. But Michael Lombardi is a really smart offensive football mind, or not even just offensive, just a really smart football mind. He's been around the game forever. He knows the game like the back of his hand. He preaches the middle eight. The middle eight is the cru- the most crucial part uh, section of the football game. The middle eight is the last four minutes of the second quarter, first four minutes of the third quarter. Yep. You look at that, and I mean, it was Browns almost extreme, like 100 percent one sided. All like, Browns. It was all Browns. All Browns. All Browns. But and and to even expand on that, it's it was really after the second quarter on. You mentioned the Ravens' lack of success on on fourth or excuse me third down in the second half. I'll go one step further. So just from overall plays, the Browns ran 78 plays on offense. The Ravens ran 54, a difference in 24 plays. So everybody wants to point fingers at the defense. Mike McDonald got exposed. Jim Schwartz, you know, whatever. The defense was not able to do what we've seen the defense do over the last couple of weeks because they were just flat out gassed. They were on the field for 78 plays. And Josh, you and I talked about it uh, when we previewed the Seattle game last week. The Ravens are not statistically as good against the run as we may think that they should be. I think that's kind of been overshadowed a little bit because in the last three or four weeks, we've put teams in positions where they can't necessarily run the ball and right. they have to, they have to get one dimensional early on. They have to put the ball in the air. So that has kind of been, you know, made up for, um, but the, the Browns credit to Kevin Stefanski because he stuck with the game plan early on, even getting, even after getting smacked in the mouth early on, he he didn't yeah. abandon the run. He didn't abandon the run. Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt did what you know they've done really all season. Yeah. And from guard to guard on that offensive line, I just mentioned the, the issues with the tackles missing. Joel Batonio, Wyatt Teller, and I forget the name of the right guard, but mm-hmm. those guys played phenomenally. Uh, you know, Justin Matabike was still a game wrecker, and Michael right. Pierce, you know, made some plays and whatnot. But those guys were opening holes. They ran the ball down our throats really all day. Yep. Um, and, and and it shows in the stats, 178 total rush yards by the Browns compared to 106 by the Ravens. 24 first downs. Down. Exactly. 24 first downs 
by the Cleveland Browns on the day, 17 by the Ravens. The Browns weren't even 50% on third down, eight of 16 on the day. The Ravens were two of eight. So you talk about 50% compared to 25%, just not good. And then lastly, time of possession, the Browns had the ball for 34 minutes and 15 seconds. The Ravens had it for 25, 45, you know, the the thing that you and I have been preaching maybe more than anything else over the last couple of weeks is complimentary football. And this was essentially a masterclass on how to not play complimentary football by the Ravens. So that's kind of why I view this game in a little bit of a different light than some of the others, because it, it, we lost the game in the trenches very early on in the second quarter on. So you lose the game in the trenches that turns into, you know, not being able to run the ball that turns into limiting the playbook on, on, you know, certain things that you can call and certain schemes that you can draw up in situations that leads to so many other things. It's just a snowball effect of, like I said, not playing comp- complimentary football. And that's like, it, it really just boils down to the fact that th- we got out physical and, and we just got beat flat out. We just got beat. Yeah, absolutely. We did get beat. And the physicality of it is just absolutely ridiculous because you never see a Ravens team get bullied like that. Like that does Very not happen. That does not happen to Baltimore. That does not happen in Baltimore. And it's kind of a disgrace that both happened like last night mm-hmm. um, because you can't get bullied like that at home. Um, with that, yeah, it's just, it was just rough. And I don't understand why we abandoned the run. And I just don't understand why we didn't do the things that worked so well against Cleveland and mm-hmm. Cleveland. There was not a lot of misdirection. Lamar was not running the ball or there wasn't even a threat of Lamar really running the ball especially up the A-gaps, and we didn't use Ricard enough to help block, like, mm-hmm. the edges. I, I said, like, what, two or three weeks ago, watch out for these edges because things just aren't looking that great, and they're getting, like, at, just absolutely, like, and I'm going to just get moves, just bull rushed, like, absolutely mm-hmm. bull rushed. Like, Stanley, I know he got hurt, but he wasn't having the best game in the world. He wasn't anchoring. He wasn't getting good blocks off. Like, nope. Mo- did Moses play yesterday, or? He did not. Pat McCarry got the start at right tackle. Pat- Pat McCarry was getting kind of eaten up alive. Like again, I I think I, I ironically enough, I think he's better as a guard, like a guard, than he is as a like a attack, like outside tackle. I think better in the interior. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a bad point. No, I, I like him better in where Ben Cleveland was, kind of to fill in that role instead of being oh, on yeah. the edge with Morgan Moses is. But he had a rough game. Granted, everyone's gonna have a rough game against Miles uh, Garrett and Darius Smith because those two are just absolute animals. But my question yep. is, if you know your edges are just destroying you and the pocket's collapsing and, like, Lamar can't roll out to throw a ball comfortably, why not run the ball off the A-gaps or bully them? Like, try to play to the strengths of your interior O-line. Linden Ball is a great center. Like, Zeitler, when he was in, was doing really well. Simpson has been absolutely bullying people when he was the only O-lineman that had the game last night. I don't understand why you abandoned the run so, like, early, especially when you're up and have a lead. Like, I don't know what the matchup was. Like, the receivers weren't necessarily getting like wide open and Lamar wasn't necessarily hitting everyone like, like, you know, 20 plus yards down the field. He had a pedestrian game, but like, and early on, he was definitely like on fire picking his spots, but mm-hmm. you got to keep it honest and run the ball. It doesn't make sense why in the second half, when you're up 14, I think even 17 at one point, you have seven carries all, all in the second half. Like, I, I don't understand that at all. I don't know why you don't give Keaton Mitchell the ball more. And, and yes. like, I, again, I don't, I don't even want him to hit a home run every play. I just, again, I don't even think that's the same football. But, you know, singles and triples can go a long way. When he's getting four or six yards clips and extending drives and getting first down, you hit that misdirection. I don't see why you don't, throw, like, give him the ball. At least have the threat of him giving it. 
Um, I'm, I, 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 I completely agree with you, Josh, and, yeah. and not to cut you off here. That, no, that Going back to the Harbaugh thing, and you and I, I think, are very clear on how we feel about Harbaugh. I think he's a great head coach, and I'm uh, shout out to uh, Spencer Schultz, Ravens for Dummies again. Harbaugh statistically has been one of the best game managers since he took over this team. Um, and I, I'm still firmly in the camp of fire Harbaugh is not the right answer. No. However, I will say this. The fact that over the last, what, two years, we've had six or seven games that we've blown in the fourth quarter with a double-digit lead. At some point, if changes aren't made, then I think that speaks volumes. The only the only criticism as far as Harbaugh goes, and I, like this happens, I feel like every week that the Ravens lose, the Harbaugh haters and the and the Boo Birds come out. A lot of people saying, you know, Harbaugh is just a cheerleader. What does he actually do on game day? You know, this, that, and the other. The only real reason I will, or excuse me, example I will say that they might have an argument to be made is the Keaton Mitchell thing. Yeah, Keaton Mitchell, like I said already, he took his first touch of the football game, forty yards to the house. Last week, he averaged 15 yards a carry. He had a touchdown. He probably should have had two for even more yards. He's shown you that what he can do with the ball in his hands is just simply electrifying. And I think I saw a stat last week uh, after the Seahawks game that of his 139 yards, like 117 of them or something came after contact. So that is where I would like to criticize Harbaugh the most from this game because his quote after the game was just... uh, it's a terrible quote. It's bad optics. He said, you know, I'm not sure why Keaton didn't get involved more. That's just how the game went. Like John, you're not calling plays. Your job is to intervene when stuff like that happens. Gus, Gus Edwards, you know, shout out to Gus. We love Gus on the show. He's been talking about how he wants all the big loads pause. He got 11 carries, but he only had 28 yards. Yeah. You know, so ride the hot hand all you want, but his hand was clearly not hot. And I'm right. okay with using I'm okay with using Gus as your feature back. We we've 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 been very clear about that. Yeah. yeah. If if Gus is going to be your your leading rusher and get the most carries, that's fine. But for Keaton Mitchell to have one carry for 40 yards on his first touch, and then finish the game with three carries for 34 yards, like that's just not acceptable. Harbaugh, I would have liked to see Harbaugh or hear that Harbaugh radioed up to Munkin and, and said, "Hey, let's get Keaton involved a little bit. Let's go under center. Or let's go out of the pistol." Give him the ball and some counters, some misdirections. Let's keep it from guard to guard. And let's let you know, let's do the trap game and the polls and the stuff that we do so well. Try to neutralize their their edges. Because yeah. I think I I truly believe there was opportunity to attack the middle of the offensive line. And I, yeah. I we just yeah. we just didn't. For for whatever reason, I think we ran the ball like six or seven times in the second half. Like that's just not yeah. that, when you're that, up. that exactly when you're when up you're that. Up. That leads to not being able to sustain a drive, which leads to not playing complimentary football and so on and so on that we've already mentioned. So that, I will say, is maybe the only reason I see to validly uh, pour your blame onto John Harbaugh from this game. But outside of that, I really don't think it's warranted because, like I've been saying, it, 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 it was just like we got out physical. Yeah, and like I don't, I know Harbaugh is like a CEO type of coach, and you delegate mm-hmm. like when you do that stuff, like you do stuff like that, usually you tend to delegate. And mm-hmm. but you got to take, and I don't think Harbs doesn't take accountability, but you can't not know in that situation. Like, 
Right. When something's wrong, even if you have to lie, be like, oh, yeah, like it was a part of the game plan or whatever, mm-hmm. like take care of it and just fix it in house because mm-hmm. you not knowing makes it seem like you're incompetent in that situation. Yes. And, and that's, that's kind of what I mean. Like it's, yeah, it, it's yeah. really just a bad quote all yeah. uh, more than anything. Yeah. But, and this, this goes back to how I feel about Harbaugh as a head coach and why I think he's great. He's, he's so faithful and he believes in his guys so much and he wants to empower both his players and his coaching staff so much that it almost becomes a detriment, right? Yeah. Like we've, we, we saw it with Greg Roman and, and how he kind of overstayed his welcome for lack of a better term. Harbaugh just believes in his guys so much that it becomes a, it's a downfall of his where he, I'm sure his thought process was, you know, we've put together a game plan. Todd is calling this game. I'm going to let Todd do what he does and not try to meddle and tinker too much. Whereas, like you said, as a CEO, a, a good CEO sees that and, not even just forces the hand. You just, you radio up to Todd and say, Hey, let's try to get Keaton the ball a little bit. It doesn't have to be, you know, six straight carries, but you know, let's, let's get him the ball once in the next possession. And then maybe yeah. we'll swing the ball out to him. You know what? Yeah. There, there were just opportunities for Keaton to touch the ball. And one thing that I think a lot of people aren't talking about, and I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on Keaton here, but mm-hmm. Keaton ran like a wheel route or like a slot fade or something early on. I want to say maybe in the second quarter, yeah. Uh, and yeah. Lamar put it on him. It was a beautiful ball and Keaton dropped. It would have been a touchdown. If he catches that, we're probably talking about a different game. Maybe Keaton gets more involved. Maybe we win the game. I don't know. And like right. I said, I don't want to set shit on Keaton, but that's maybe the one negative to that where you can point and say, well, he had an opportunity. He didn't. But still, you don't give him a chance to get rolling, get momentum. And the defender made a great play. Why are you throwing? Why are you blaming a running back for not catching like a 20 yard wheel route? Like, again, yeah. yeah. That again, it was a beautiful ball and it should have been caught. Mm-hmm. But I'm not gonna be mad at a running back for not catching a like a 20 yard wheel route when the defender made an excellent play, shielding the ball and playing the ball while also facing the defender. That's football. That happens. Yeah. But the play that really sticked out to me last night, and I, I was really upset at Lamar for keeping this, was there was a read option play where Keaton has a hole. In yes, I, I know exactly what you're talking like about. Keaton has a hole and he can break that thing out and like probably get 10 yards, if not like head on the goalpost type of play. And Lamar kept it. And Miles Garrett is right there just eating him alive. Like, mm-hmm. I know Lamar wants to make a lot of plays. I know he can make every play. But, like, I th- I thought he could have read that better, especially since the O-line was pulling that way. And, like, you weren't getting anything on that edge. On that, any side Garrett was on, you were not getting anything. So, I don't know. And, again, it's the whole misdirection thing. I don't think that was a good misdirection play because the way that the play ended up, he wasn't really – I don't know. Just something was just wrong with that play, and like that that one stuck out to me. It's like, oh, that's gonna like mm-hmm. probably gonna bite us in the butt later on. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I like I said, I know exactly what play you're talking about, and you're absolutely right. I remember like thinking in my head, like, why did he pull that? As much as I love Lamar, and as much as I feel comfortable with the ball in his hands more than anybody on this team, that was an instance where I feel like Lamar was just trying to do too much, and maybe it was because the offense wasn't able to sustain a drive, and he was like, all right, you know, get on my back, and, I'm, and we're going to do this. I'm going to be Superman here. And it, it's look, it's a, it's a read option that it, that is put in the quarterback's hands, and he has to make the decision. There's nobody right. else that could do it for him. It's just, unfortunately, he made a bad read, and, and it turned into a negative instead of what could have been probably a really big positive. But yes, right. you're, you're absolutely right. And that that is where I kind of go back on Todd Munkin and maybe this is Harbaugh too. In times, I feel like they just need to be told, let's just keep it simple. Let's right. not get Let's not get too cute. Let's not overcomplicate it. Let's just keep it simple. Let's, let's bring in Ricard. Let's bring in Charlie Kohler, which they did on the goal line and they moved the ball very easily. Yeah. Like, 
like let's 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 play let's play big let's play phys- let's try to re-physical what we've been out physical so far and just pound the ball like i said guard to guard like you said a gap to a gap that's what i feel like we didn't do when we probably should have yeah um i do want to highlight some positives with yesterday's game i thought the receivers mm-hmm. for the most part when they got the ball had a great game absolutely bateman bateman was winning routes he was getting balls mm-hmm. he was making catches like i thought he was good Andrew's and un- the one play un- that he- unfortunately unfortunately about bateman like he had a key drop on, I think, second and eight, maybe in the fourth quarter. But outside of that play, he played an excellent game. Like, yeah, I like the way he's, I still like the way he's trying to like the way he's playing. So I'm not mad yeah, about me that. Too. Me that too. That pick that Lamar threw in the second half was just uh, like, and Lamar even said that yeah, was on the, me. It, it, it like, was it, maybe the worst ball I've ever seen Lamar throw. And he owned like, up to it. He said, he said it was on him. He just underthrew him. So yeah. And that ball is five yards deeper. That's, that's probably seven for Bates. Like, yeah, it's it. it, You at least give him a shot to make a play on it for sure. Exactly. Uh, Beckham had another touchdown. We saw that burst of speed across the middle. Sad that we wasted it, but hey, at least we know ball, so that's cool for something. (laughs) Um, yeah, I would like to see Aguilar make that third down catch, but again, that was rough. That was a rough play. Like, I honestly, I thought he got interfered with because it looked like he was trying to get his second hand up and he couldn't. But I mean, it probably would have been a soft call anyway. But yeah, you're right. We do we have to ask a question just about Justice Hill and what he like what what he like contributes to this team? I know he so, does, and I know he's really got chip blocking, and he had a no, yeah. nice couple chip blocks. Mm-hmm. But at some point, man, you gotta like like I I, I, I don't I feel know. Like he, I don't know. He's he's had a he's had a good amount of opportunities to where if he was going to set himself apart on this team, he would have by now. Um, I you you kind of hit it last week when we were talking about justice hill what he brings to the table is pass protection and yep. special teams he's excellent on special teams and he's a very good pass pro yep. um however as a running back and now on a team with two very solid running backs it, the writing's kind of all on the wall there so if you're not going to take the opportunity to separate yourself i i feel like maybe the question is already being answered Another player that I'm a little, I'm starting to be concerned with as far as do we need to have a conversation? Marcus Williams is, is a defensive Talk liability. Talk about it. Talk about He's it. He's a defensive liability. And as much as I love the, the, the mentality and the toughness and the grit of him saying, I want to be out on that field. I don't care how I feel. I don't care, you know, what I'm at as far as percentage of healthiness. I want to be out on that field and I want to make plays. That last part is the key aspect to that he's making plays making tackles coming up and being a force both run game and pass game and he's done the opposite like he's he's not making tackles he's doing the he's doing the the last year of his career eric weddle thing where he's just running with the guy until he gets forced out of bounds or somebody else makes the tackle like yep and i don't want to make it sound like i'm shitting on him because i'm not he's just not healthy and it's very clear that he's not healthy when he's 100% healthy, these are plays that he makes and does so with relative ease. Yep. And then you talk about the pass game, like Marcus Williams last year when he was healthy, it's, it felt like he had a pick in every game that he played in. So you're losing that, and on top of losing that aspect from Marcus Williams's game, you're taking opportunities for Geno Stone to do that, which he's you, been doing all season. You took so, the words right, right out of my mouth. You, so as like, much as I love yeah. Marcus Williams wanting to be that dog and play, you're he's doing more harm than good. So... You know, back to the hardball thing, being a CEO, 
these are the tough conversations that you had have to have, right? And I know that he said that that he basically just doubled down and reinforced his belief in Marcus Williams this afternoon and his media availability. He said, we believe in Marcus Williams. You know, he's he's still getting back to where he is, but he's going to be better, you know, each week in, week in, week out. And if that's the case, then fine. But if he continues to do what he's doing, then ultimately that's not on Marcus Williams. That's on Harbaugh and on Mike McDonald for not seeing that and saying, hey, look, you need to get right both for you and for the better of the team. So as far exactly. as tough conversations goes, that's that's another one that I think needs to be had. Or if it doesn't need to be had now, it will need to be had pretty soon. If the key stuff like this, yes, it will need to be had soon. Because here's the thing. Not only is Marcus Williams not contributing to the team in tackles or interceptions, you're taking away from guys who are contributing that way. Like you're taking away from yes. guys like Geno Stone, who leads the league in interceptions. Should have had one last night, but you know, whatever, it happens. Um, you take the away from guys like Kyle Hamilton, who is a absolute dog and is just mm-hmm. he is just so good at football and everywhere. And that man is just a he's the type of guy you want leading this defense. Um yes. along with like Rokon and Queen. Queen had a rough and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pull one from deep in the bag here. Daryl Worley was actually playing pretty well right after Marcus Williams went down as kind of yep. like a as kind of like a tertiary piece to the defense. So Oh, yeah, I got one right. more for he's, you. Arthur Millette. Arthur Millette has uh-huh. been absolutely killing it in a nickel and making lives miserable for the defense, like for the offense, especially yes. like on a blitz. We could have used him to like chase down guys like Watson last night instead of Marcus Williams being out there, yes. not tackling anyone. So, and I don't know if they need, needed a bigger body because um, I know my dad was like, "Why wasn't Millette out there enough?" I'm like, "You got guys like Cooper and Joku and like I forget who their other receiver was, but like some pretty big dudes." Well, that's not the mm-hmm. biggest dude in the world. So maybe it was a size thing. Um, that that very well could have been it. I don't know. I just know that like it felt like whatever was going on, like there every time my players got in their backs in the third, fourth quarter, they were carrying them for like five or ten yards. So, mm-hmm. I mean, frustrating. And I, I, I mean, I just think the defense got tired. Clean was missing tackles and just for sure, work. for sure. And that 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 to me is the biggest takeaway from this game. You know, it's not on the defense because you know, we've talked about the offense and what they were not able to do. And when you don't play complimentary football, like I said, the defense just get gas and they, you know, those, those three yard runs, those four yard runs turns into six and seven yard runs. Yep. You know, the, the, the seven and eight yard passes turn into 14 and 15 yard passes. We had a couple, you know, blown coverages and left the middle of the field open. And, you know, Deshaun by no means beat us through the air. He was no. just taking what he was just taking what we gave him and credit to him for doing exactly that. He did, he did enough. And he did exactly what he needed to do to win this game. He relied on the run game, which we couldn't stop. And like yep. I said, he took what he took what we gave him. Um, my conclusion for this game: I'm slightly worried more about the offense than I am the defense. However, I'm confident that they can right the ship. Um, shout out to my boy Todd Bradley. He actually had a um, not a quote, a take that I, I somewhat agree with. Um, I think losing that game does more for us in the long term than if we were to edge out a narrow win. Yeah. And I say that because looking back at the Lions game, obviously the Lions are a good team and we succeeded in making them one dimensional. We dominated on all three fi- sides of the football. Same thing can be said about the Seattle game. This was maybe the best defense we've seen so far this year, unless I'm forgetting one. I think the Browns are probably the best unit on the other side of the ball that we're going to see yeah. outside of San Francisco all year. So yeah. to get smacked in the mouth like that, to kind of make us ask some questions about our offense, about our offensive line, about some of our schemes and our game plan, 
I think losing this game is going to force us to react one way or the other. And it's just a matter of, you know, if the Ravens go out and do what they need to do. Yeah, this is the game that you don't want to lose at all, but you're okay, not even okay with it. But like we said in week one, hey, by week you can 10, learn you're going to be 7-3, 2-2 and two and two in your division, and you know, you would take that. The way you lose kind of sucks, but you can learn from this, and I think this has to be a wake-up call, especially, I mean, shoot, Thursday night, you got Cincinnati coming to town. That's going to be a, must, that's yeah. a must-win game. I think Absolute Chargers, must is must, win. Chargers is a must-win game. Um, For sure. And then you have to buy a week. And if you go into buy week, what will we be? Nine and two, nine and three. Yes. When three and two lead on the division with the last week of the last week of the year, deciding the division. For the most part, you can live with that. Um, mm-hmm. but, and if you yeah. beat if you beat if you beat Cincinnati, that makes them five and five. Yeah. You go to you go to eight and three. You're three and two in the division. You have one more divisional game. You have a chance to have the division locked up before you even play Pittsburgh in week 17 or week 18. Yep. yep. So, yep. yes, you're you're absolutely right. Next week is a must win. I think the Chargers game is also a must win. If you go into the bye nine and three, you're sitting really good. You have you have the Rams. You have the 49ers. You have the Dolphins and you have the Steelers. I believe be able. that. I believe that round season Jaguars. Oh, you're right. Yes. Yes. You're right. So I believe the Jaguars. Yes. The Jaguars are between San Francisco and Miami, I believe. Yes. Or no LA and San Francisco. Sorry. Yes. It's Rams, Jags, Niners. Yeah. Yes. All every single one of those teams is beatable. Even San Francisco granted, we'll have to play a much better game than we've played to this point, but certainly beatable. Um, like I said, it's a learning experience. I'm slightly worried more about the offense than the defense, but I'm confident that they can write the ship. They they have the capability of writing the ship. I'll say that much. Yeah. Uh, we, this is a, yeah. We, sorry, go ahead. So this is as doom and gloom as last year. Where we saw the offensive problems mm-hmm. last year. We were like, oh, yeah, that's going to kill us. This is like yeah. we have the pieces. I keep saying the tool reference. Like we have the pieces. We know they fit. Like. Mm-hmm. We just and, need to and put going it back to last year, yeah, and yeah. going back to last year, like some of those losses that we had, the the blown games, that was like our our secondary was getting torched, right? Like you go to the Miami game, Tua lit us up for five hundred. I think both Tyreek and Jalen Waddle went for two hundred on us. Like, yeah, this and, this this really just came down to not we just got out physical and our defense just got tired down the stretch. Yeah, so I agree with you there. Um, we talked about Marcus Williams, another guy. Going back to the positives, uh, I wanted to shed some light on. Zay Flowers uh, became the first yeah. rookie in Ravens on the Ravens to have uh, 50 catches since Torrey Smith kind of gets overshadowed because we lost the game, but he's been extremely productive as a rookie um, outside of the, the two drops in Pittsburgh. He's really had a fantastic season. He's getting separation. He's electric with the ball in his hands. He's getting open. He's giving Lamar a big target to hit. So shout out to him for getting his 50th catch. Uh, Odell Beckham, you mentioned it nail on the head last week, still got it. Rashad Bateman, we talked about him a little bit. On the defensive side, I felt like Clowney and Adafe Owe especially played very, very well. Yeah. Um, Owe got home, got the strip sack, which if we recover that strip sack, we're probably talking about this game in a completely different light. But yep. unfortunately, ball just doesn't bounce our way. And uh, Clowney was doing well, setting edges, got pressures, even had a sack or two in this game. I think he had one. Yeah, um, he but going back to missed opportunities, Clowney continues to lead lead the league in almost sacks. Those are just you got to convert those. Yep. Yeah, it's frustrating when you're getting home against a beat up O line and not converting. Him. Granted, Sean Watson did, did a good job escaping that pressure, getting the ball, getting rid of the ball, and taking what yep. the defense gave you. But you got if you're heavy hands on your body on him, you got to bring him down, man. Especially yeah. in the third or fourth quarter, like mm-hmm. that 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 
we should have we could have got that ball, but we should have to take a got another two or three sacks that drive. So yeah. Um, if those happens, I think again we're talking about a different story. Maybe they punt the ball, maybe get a chance to get another score at three, so we have to get seven mm-hmm. again. It's a totally different story. Um, yep. Yeah. If we just convert on those sacks, so we'll see. Yeah. So so to kind of put a bow on this game, man. Um, I, it sucks. It's frustrating. Um, and kind of going back to the whole Harbaugh bad quote thing, I think it was a bad quote for him saying you lose games like this because you really shouldn't, but. You know, unfortunately, every team you play in the NFL is going to be good. You know, the other side has professionals, too. Um, and that's just kind of how the NFL goes. It sucks to lose. You probably shouldn't have lost. But, you know, the Browns are a good team. And like I said, yeah. they're probably they're probably the best, if not the second best defense we're going to see all year. Um, and they're a divisional opponent, so they know how to play as we see them twice a year. So yep. learn from it. Quick, quick turnaround, short week. Uh get healthy, get the guys out on the field that you need to have out on the field. Um, and, you know, like you said, Thursday is absolutely a must win. Yep. On to Cincinnati. On to Cincinnati. And to kind of put an ultimate bow on this game, I wore this hat for a reason because positive I feel like all, vibes of Baltimore, all of Baltimore needs some positive vibes only. So flush it down the toilet, bury the ball, burn the film, whatever cliche you want to, you want to throw out there. Uh, we're on to Cincinnati and pack the bank positive vibes all week leading up to Thursday. Cause, uh, cause we're going to need it. Yeah. And I'm sure we're going to get into our preview soon about that. So I got some, I got some numbers floating around in my head and we'll get to that soon. So bingo. All right, Josh, now we can pivot over to this week, uh, this upcoming week. Ravens have, as we mentioned, a short week playing Thursday night football. Uh, the Ravens are hosting the Bengals, another divisional game, another game at home, first primetime game for the Ravens of the season. Also the first and only primetime game at the bank. Uh, Ravens opened as a three and a half point favorite over under opened at 43 and a half. Um, We just spent a lot of time talking about the Ravens this week. Their loss to the Browns. Cincinnati's also coming off a pretty, uh, pretty tight loss, um, which I think is probably the biggest headline coming into this game. Uh, That being both teams are coming off really narrow losses, really good games. Um, Cincinnati, obviously losing, I believe on a last second field goal a walk-off field goal to the houston texans yeah. uh a game yeah. where cj stroud just absolutely lit up the field proving that he should not only be rookie of the year but in the mvp conversation which i fully agree with um he's having an incredible year but anyway we're talking about the Bengals. we're talking about the ravens outside of that the biggest headline would probably be the afc north race um which I feel like is just pretty standard come this time every year. The AFC North has been consistently pretty tight, uh, pretty heavily contested, um, which is nothing new to us. Um, the Ravens are in first, currently sitting at 7-3, and three, and if they would have won this past week, they really would have cemented themselves as the favorite down the stretch. Losing to Cleveland, you kind of leave the door open. Cleveland, I believe, is 6-3 and three, or 6-4. and four. I want to say 6-3. and three. Mm-hmm. Um Pittsburgh is also six and three, I I think somehow, and uh, Cincinnati actually is in last place in the division at five and four. So, those are the biggest headlines coming into the game. Um, outside of that, before we go ahead and dive into each team, do you have uh, you have anything off the top regarding this game, these two teams? Uh, just how you're yeah, feeling? I mean, I I still want to win even so even more so now than I did in week two. So I'm very very amped this game. I oh, yeah. um. The AFC North is just a absolute like crapshoot right now. I think a little bit later on we're kind of going to cannibalize. At least the other teams are going to cannibalize themselves a little bit. 
Uh, fortunately, the Ravens will have been completed five of their six division games by the end of this uh, week. So uh, you're either sitting at four and two. Um, I'm sorry, three and two. Um, if you win Thursday, if not, then you're 500, and that does not look good heading down the stretch. Um, but yeah, I think this. I think this division is just going to eat itself alive. Um, I think both teams kind of have something to prove. The Bengals are trying to cement their footing and try to take a really good stretch. I know they're usually a team that plays well later on down the season. Um, what the Ravens want to do is make sure we just keep them out of that as much as possible because they're going to get their games in sooner or later. Ravens want to make sure they have a sweep and they they have all the tiebreakers uh, against them as we get closer to uh, December and January. So very mm-hmm. important matchup. I'm sure we're going to get into the analytics of it, but I, I think the Ravens will come to play after, you know, pissing a game away on Sunday. So, yeah, yeah, I I mean, I would at least hope so. Um, But I think we mentioned it a little bit ago uh, talking about this past week. This game against Cleveland Thursday night has turned into a must win, in my opinion. I don't think I don't think there's any other way that you could look about it. I know they're always going to treat divisional games a little bit different just because that's how the AFC North is. And that's how the Ravens usually operate. Um, But losing to Cleveland, like I said, keeping the door open in the division. I think this this is still anyone's division. Say what you want about the Bengals. Say what you want about the Steelers, even the Browns. Um, any team over the rest of the season is capable of winning this division. It's just a matter of how how hard they want it or how hard any of the other teams want to stop that team from going and getting it. So in my opinion, like I said, this is an absolute must win for the Ravens. Um, if you win this game, you're sitting comfortably at 8-3. and three. Like you said, 3-2 and two in the division with a stretch, like we mentioned a little bit ago, winnable winnable football games coming down the stretch. Um, you know, we, we talked about our upcoming divisions in previous weeks. I think outside of the Cincinnati Bengals, the toughest opponent that we're going to play for the rest of the season is San Francisco. Uh, we play them Christmas Eve or Christmas day, I believe. Christmas so, day, yeah. And, and they've shown that they're beatable too, albeit Trent Williams, Devo Samuel back on the field this past weekend. And they looked like the Niners that we were all used to the first couple weeks of the season. But let's not forget Trent Williams and Debo Samuel were out on the field when Cleveland beat them with uh, PJ Walker starting a quarterback. So anybody, mm-hmm. any given Sunday in the NFL, right? We know that we know that. Um, but all that to say, this is an absolute must win game for the Ravens. So with that, we can go ahead and dive into our uh, analysis of this game. The preview on the injury front, um, the Ravens have been putting out both estimated and um, actual injury reports for the week. Banged up a little bit. Um, we are recording this part of the pod Tuesday night. So Harbaugh came out and said Tuesday afternoon that both Ronnie Stanley and Marlon Humphrey are day to day. Didn't necessarily rule them out for Thursday, although I feel like a lot of us are pretty much on the same page with not expecting them to be out there. Um, I'm kind of OK with that. Obviously, you'd want guys, those guys out there. They're really good players without that goes without saying. Um However, we've talked about it. It's a long season. Got to get guys right for, you know, end of November into December and and January. So on a short week after a really physical game, both of those, both of those guys took injuries. So I just, I'm not expecting either of them to be out there. Morgan Moses came out and said Tuesday afternoon that he is preparing to play, which is huge for us. Getting him back on the right side is going to be massive. Uh, Able to move Makari over to the left side if Stanley isn't able to go. A couple other guys. Uh, Kevin Zeitler has not been on the injury report either Monday or Tuesday. Uh, he left the game, believe he didn't return Sunday against the Browns. Not on the injury report. He's good to go. 
That's another one that is absolutely massive for us. Yep. Having him in the middle of that line commanding and doing what he does, uh, going to help us in the run game for sure. Definitely going to help us in the pass game. And hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll open up everything that we didn't have opened up last weekend. On the Bengals side, they are pretty banged up at some key positions. Yep. Um, Trey Hendrickson, uh, one of their star edge rushers, took, uh, I believe he got rolled up on or took a, a low hit late on a play against the Texans. Uh, I think like I think one of the Texans receivers was like getting blocked and like fell to the ground and kind of rolled up on him. So he is questionable. I think I saw a report or a tweet or something saying that it's it's an uphill battle or something to the effect of it's a long shot for him to play Thursday. Um, on the other edge, Sam Hubbard, their other edge rusher, he did not play against the Texans. He's not expected to play this week against us, which is huge considering how our line is banged up. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, T Higgins, who missed week 10 as well against the Texans, also not expected to play. So you figure with Humphrey out, having a guy like T Higgins not out there on the field posing the threat that he poses, again, really, really big for us. You never want to wish injuries on anybody, but it's uh, it's it's definitely a, a better spot for us than if all those guys were healthy like they have been in years prior. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, how many times have the Bengals played us and we've been decimated with injuries and they've taken advantage exactly. of that and propelled? Feels there, like, feels know? like every single time we play them. Yeah, I don't, yeah, honestly, it does. Um, every single time we play them, we usually have injuries. They're usually the healthy team. Now it's kind of a little bit the opposite, although we're pretty banged up as well. But um, yeah, those injuries are huge on both ends. Um, Stanley being out sucks, but I would rather for him to be out now and healthier and like get his mentals and everything right going down the stretch. Humphrey, Absolutely. I would love to see him out there, but I've even noticed that he's not playing at the same caliber that he has been in previous years, just coming back from injury. Like he's been, he's lost his footing a lot, you know, I mean, not even a lot, just lost his footing on some plays. Has been the consistent all pro corner that we've seen in recent mm-hmm. years. So I would love for him to play lockup chase uh, or even Tyler Boyd, who's given us issues. Um, but if he doesn't play again, not the worst thing in the world. We can get, we can hopefully get by without him. Um, for sure. But, I mean, their defense is hurt, and this is a perfect time to take advantage of the run game. Um, they're two toughest players out of the game. I think we need to expose that. Our O-line and interior is healthy. Why not use that to our advantage against a banked-up defensive line? Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And, you know, obviously what we said uh, heading into our Week 2 matchup um, ended up, you know, making – we said what we said, and I don't think either of us are going to back down from I'll that. say it I again think... if you want me to. <laughs> like, that's a soft defense. Like, <laughs> look, look, soft I... defense and the two soft – and the two toughest guys in defense are out. So – Look, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I, I know we talked about it, you know, back in week two. I've been saying it all season, it feels like, really since March when free agency happened. When that defense lost both Jesse Bates, who was the heart and soul, he was the straw that stirred the drink, he was hard-nosed, I personally loved the way that he played, and I hate that he was in hated that he was in Cincinnati because he's really good. Mm-hmm. They lost him, and they lost their other safety in Von Bell. I just I felt like not enough people were talking about that. Those were going to be massive losses for them, and I feel like up until this point, that that's proven to be the case. So you're absolutely right. Trey Hendrickson is a dog. Sam Hubbard's a dog. Both of those guys play incredibly hard. They have high motors, really really good edge rushers, and they've proven to be game wreckers especially against us. I mean, we remember what happened in the playoff game. Not that we need to rehash that, but we, we both remember what happened. Immediately blocking it back on Mark Andrews. Exactly. Exactly. So I will say this though, going back to our offensive line and and being banged up, the fact that 
both John Simpson seems like he's going to be good to go for the game as well as Kevin Zeitler. Um, DJ reader. Who's in the middle of their defensive line is still very good at football. Yeah. So at least having the, the interior of, of our offensive line from guard to guard be what we've expected it to be and what we've had it be for the majority of this, of the season up until this point, that's going to be huge for us because outside of those two edge guys, DJ reader, he, he, he's, he's very hard nosed and very AFC North and he can still cause problems. So I definitely agree with you there. Um, I'm going to go ahead and look at the matchups of the units uh, as we've done for the last couple of weeks. Um, this one, I feel like it's, it's going to sound a little obvious just because it's AFC North football. We know these guys, we play them twice a year. There's, you know, the Joe Burrow Lamar thing. And both of these teams have kind of been elevated because they both have star quarterbacks, but nevertheless, I feel like it's worth mentioning because I think there's some opportunity opportunities to uh, expose some, some differences here. So first looking at the Ravens offense versus the Bengals defense, uh, the Ravens are first in the league in rush yards per game. We're averaging 155 rush yards per game, even after last week's 106 yards uh, performance. Cincinnati ranks 30th in stopping the run. They give up on average 136.2 yards per game. Okay. Keep that. Just remember that stat. Number one, rushing offense versus number 30. The Ravens are also tied for second in the league with yards per rush, averaging 4.8. Cincinnati's number 17th in the league in yards per, or excuse me, I was looking at the wrong number. They are 31st in the league in yards per rush against. Baltimore ranks number 20th in pass yards per game, averaging 207.8. Not necessarily a surprise. Uh, and Cincinnati ranks 24th in pass yards per game allowed. Lastly, Ravens ranked 5th in yards per pass, 7.8. Cincinnati is 30th in the league in yards per pass allowed. They're giving up 7.4 a clip. So going back to what we said about that defense, right? You lose Jesse Bates. You're the captain of your defense. You lose Von Bell. You replace them with Dax Hill, who good young player. I liked him at Michigan. I liked him coming out. Good young player, brother of Justice Hill, actually. Yeah. Fun fact. Yep. But still, he's he's second year in the league, first year starting, still kind of finding his feet and, and getting acclimated to the NFL game. Um, and then I forget who is on the other side of him. Uh, I know they drafted Jordan Battle from Alabama, who is really good, uh, can come down, play box safety a little bit, brings the wood, hits hard. Um, but again, he's a rookie. I know they have Cam Taylor Britt on the outside, who is is kind of a, a media darling to some people in the media. He is very good, makes a lot of really good plays, but that secondary is not necessarily what it has been in years prior. And then obviously, like I said about the run game, there's there's quite a bit of a difference there. On the flip side, Ravens defense versus Cincinnati's offense. We know about Cincinnati's offense. We know about Joe Burrow. I will never count Joe Burrow out of a game. He is kind of in that status to me, regardless of what they're doing on paper, what they're what they're doing in any other facet as, as far as this team goes. I will never count out Joe Burrow because I really do think he, all things considered, I think he's a top five at worst quarterback in the league. That's just how I feel about Joe. The Ravens defense is 11th in rush yards per game allowed. Again, even after this past weekend where we gave up 170 something, uh, mm -hmm. we're averaging 100.5 on the ground. Cincinnati is dead last. Number 32 in the league in rush yards per game. They're averaging just under 75 yards on the ground per game. Okay. The Ravens defense is number 17 in rush, or excuse me, yards per rush. We're averaging just over four yards a carry. Cincinnati is number 28th in yards per rush, averaging 3.6. 
Ravens defense is number four in total pass yards per game allowed, or excuse me, average pass yards per game allowed at 173.1. Cincinnati is 16th in pass yards per game. So going back to what I said about Joe, I don't care what they're doing on paper. I'm still never going to count them out. But this year compared to years prior, that offense hasn't been nearly as explosive as they're in the middle of the pack there. Uh, And then lastly, the Ravens are number one in yards per pass allowed, right? We talked about it a little bit last week and in weeks prior, they like to keep everything in front and they really haven't allowed a huge shot play up until this point with maybe the exception of one or two big plays over the last couple of weeks. And then on the flip side, Cincinnati is 25th in yards per pass, averaging 6.3. So if this wasn't a divisional game, just looking at those numbers, on a blind resume, right? Like if they were any other team, I would say that this is such a favorable matchup for the Ravens, regardless of a short week, regardless of coming off a a poor performance. I would say that this, this has the writing on the wall of a get right game for the Ravens. The fact that it's the Cincinnati Bengals and it's the fact that, you know, it's a divisional matchup, AFC North matchup team that knows us really well. Um, and you know, you add the fact that it's prime time just amplifies everything. I'm still not as confident as I would like to be, um, looking at this game. I am I'm confident that the Ravens have the capability and the potential to do what they need to do in this game. But, you know, as I've said time and time again, I'm a very neurotic Ravens fan and that's just how I go. But anyway, after hearing the, after hearing those numbers, Josh, what do you what do you think and how you feel about that? I mean, I don't blame you for being nervous about this game as a Ravens fan. What have they done to really give you security that they can close out these games? Um, yeah. um again, that's not a shot at anyone we talked about in the last segment. Like these things just happen. Unfortunately, they happen a lot to the Ravens, and unfortunately, this has been an ongoing thing for ten years. I know Yuri, a decent follow on Twitter. I don't always agree with stuff he has to say. But Yuri pointed out this was way before like the Lamar Jackson era for the last couple of years. Like these were this was happening like well after the Super Bowl year. I think there was even a playoff game where we blew a 21 point lead to the Steelers in like the Ray Lewis yeah. years. Like those things unfortunately just happened to us. Um, you can't let it happen this week though. Um, and my thing is, I know we talked about the numbers and everything. My point being, again, I don't care like if I said in week two, the rest the, this still stands. This Bengals team is soft, and your toughest player cannot be your quarterback. I don't care what team you are. Like, your defense has to have a backbone and be able to stop something. And I'm not talking just come up with some cheeky plays here and there. Like, you know, get a – like, I've never seen a Bengals defense dominate a game. Like, they've gotten lucky and got away with some things and played decent football, but they have not dominated the game or, like, taken, like – or even hit hard or anything crazy like that. Like, I don't know. Like, they haven't done – that hasn't been their MO in the last – since Zach Taylor took over the team. Um, and this defense sucks against the run, like you mentioned. Like just statistically speaking, they're not good against the run. So I think the simple is easy. You got bullied. You got bullied by a Browns team at home. Be the Baltimore bullies again. Like be mm-hmm. those guys yes. that go in and beat up your opponent. Run the ball up the A gap. I want to see Pat Ricard level somebody. I want to see guys like Zeitler and Lindenball just push people off the club. I want to see Moses push people. Off. I I want to see, especially our interior on the O line. Give it to this uh, Bengals team and remind them that they are soft, that they this is AFC North football, and that you need to like finish your blocks and finish your check, like run the ball, finish your blocks, finish your checks. Yep. Passing game, I think, is actually going to benefit from this well as this as well because the Bengals eventually you make up for their lack of um the lack of linebacker play uh, with uh, Hubbard and um oh, I'm blanking on the other dude's name real quick. Um, Hendrickson. Yeah, Hendrickson missing. Yeah. They're going to press up. 
That allows guys like Zay Flowers mm-hmm. and Mark Andrews to get open in the middle of the field. And if you need to get the ball quick, they go cover zero. Shoot, we've seen what Odell can do on a slant or what Bateman can do on a slant. Give the ball to them. So I think if yeah. we legit establish a run early and stick to this running running the ball and bullying them, our offense will be clicking. Defensive side of the ball, it all comes down to making tackles. Is Joe Burrow a top 10 quarterback? Absolutely. Does Joe Burrow benefit from, from yak yards more than any other person not named Tua Tagovailoa? Absolutely. Like, the Bengals' MO is give the guy a 15-yard slant. He takes it 60 yards for a touchdown. Keep it mm-hmm. in front of you and make your tackles. That's something you didn't do toward the end of the game last week with um, with um, uh, the Browns. And that killed you later on because they were driving down the field. You can do whatever you want to them. Uh, to you. Uh, the good news is that like Cincinnati doesn't have these any like these really strong big dudes. I mean, Chase is really strong and hard to bring down, but um, there's no guys like Njoku or Cooper, you know, yeah. size-wise back there. Um, as far as the defensive personnel goes, I think Kyle Hamilton's going to have a big game. Roquan and Patrick Queen are going to show up. They do not like Cincinnati at all by any means. So, of course, mm-hmm. they're going to have a big game. Um, and corners, keep it in front of you. I expect... Um, I expect Geno Stone to have another great game. I I am also okay if you do not play Marcus Williams as much this week. Not because I don't believe in Marcus Williams. I do. I just don't want – I just don't know if he's healthier. I don't know the status of his health right now mm-hmm. and if he's going to contribute to what the game plan for this team is. Marcus Williams is not tackling well. Marcus Williams is also not sure. in the best of coverage to get, to get like, picks. I, I love Hardball, and I know he's loyal to his guys. This is one where you just got to look at the matchups and say, and Mike McDonald look at the matchups and say, hey, this is the personnel you need to go with. I want to see way more Arthur Millette than I do mm-hmm. um, I do um, Marcus Williams' this game. It's because I mm-hmm. think Millette fits this system better. I think Kyle Hamilton is stone for this system better. We could control the middle of this, this, middle of this uh, field. We could control, for the most part, this game as long as our corners keep, um, keep them in front and make tackles. This game's gonna come down making tackles and pressuring Joe Burrow. You have to pressure Joe Burrow. He has to be on his knees like constantly. You have to hit him and make him uncomfortable. I know he's not gonna go out and he's tough and all the other crap, but like, because he is, he is tough and he is resilient. He's a really good quarterback. Yeah, he's but, he's a tough son of a bitch for sure. But you gotta hit him and you gotta you gotta finish your sacks. Like you Absolutely. can't do the whole like oh I'm gonna ride his back and like he drags me for five yards. I spin off of him. Guys like Clowney and I don't even know if Van Noy is playing, but if he is. Finish your sacks. I expect mm-hmm. Owe, and I expect um because I think Owe's playing because I don't know what o, o, like Ojabo's deal is right now. I don't think anyone. Yeah, I think Ojabo's still on IR. Owe's good. I know Kyle Van Noy's been dealing with a groin. I they're not really expressing a ton of concern about him, which I mean that could go one way or the other. Right. But I, I would expect Van Noy to be out there. I expect Owe to have a really good game this week. Um, I expect mm-hmm. him to have a couple sacks early on and maybe even one late to close out the game or just like seal something. So. I mean, you see that his active, his hands have been extremely active, and he's been getting to the ball. Yep. He's added to his arsenal a swim move, like a spin move and a swim move, instead of just like straight up bull rushing, trying to speed the guy. So he's having a productive year. He's like like Bateman is just trending in the right um, direction. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as offense goes, we need to see more Keaton Mitchell just straight up. I yep. I hope he has straight 10, up. 12, 13, 14 carries. I would see Gus have 10 carries. Get Justice in there, Hill in there for maybe a couple carries. But I expect that run game to open up Lamar's passing game. I expect the Lamar stats, if everything goes as we hope, to be something along the lines of like, I don't know, let's say 25 of like 28 with a couple touchdowns, maybe a rushing touchdown, something around that lane. I think mm-hmm. if you keep Lamar's like passing under like 30, you know, 38, 
40-ish attempts and you run the ball consistently, have that balanced attack and keep the Bengals. Oh, yeah. Also, if you run the ball, you keep the Bengals off the field. Mm-hmm. Those things matter and come into play and are going to be huge to, like, to score. Because you know this team is to score. This team walked into, like, what, 20-something, 28 points something like that, like, last week? Like, I'm something taking away like to pick that. six. Like, take away to pick six, they walked their way to, like, 24 points. And they weren't even clicking on all cylinders last week and didn't play complimentary football. So this team, this offense can score. Um, mm-hmm. Also, special teams need to get together. Just yeah, fix the mistakes. Like, because you can't have another kick return like you did before. You have to make your field goals if you are kicking mm-hmm. field goals. But sevens are greater than threes. So I think this team can win. It's just that what team wants to show up that day. If you want to impose your will and dominate, or do you want to cruise to the victory or just escape with a win? You got to be the 100%. first. You got to be the first. You got to you got to just come out there wanting to like kill your opponent, basically. Hundred so. percent. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, this game, kind of like last game, I feel like has the opportunity to be won or lost in the trenches. Um, if you if you come out and you assert your dominance up front, you get pushes. You're able to run the ball. That opens up the play action. It opens up the middle of the field. If if you're if you're utilizing the middle of the field, you're going to pull those safeties up. Then that opens up the opportunity to take a shot. Lamar has missed a few deep balls this year. I think maybe the worst one came this past week when he missed Zay where, on what would have been probably like a 40-yard touchdown. Um, he's missed a couple before that this year. Um, however, you know, if if he hits, if, if uh, not Bateman, sorry, if Aguilar makes that catch against Pittsburgh, he's got a 50-yarder or something. There, there have been opportunities there, right? Last week, Keaton Mitchell on that wheel route, like we mentioned, drops yeah. the ball. That would have been a 20-plus hitter. I think Lamar, he even said today, he's pissed about missing these guys on these deep balls and he knows he has to be better. I think Lamar is going to have an opportunity to at least get one or two of those big hitters this week. And I hope, I hope that Zay is on the receiving end of them because this feels like a game where Zay can not only like remind all of the Ravens fans who have been saying like, hey, let's get this guy the ball more. Let's get him involved. Let's get, let's get him rolling early. I feel like this is an opportunity for Zay to come out to the national audience right because yep. obviously we're on we're on prime thursday night football primetime game this is an opportunity for people who haven't been necessarily paying attention to the ravens or the afc north to recognize like oh the zay flowers kid is really really good and he's, yeah. he's extremely talented and he's electric with the ball in his hands yep um last thing before i get into my keys to victory that i want to hit on uh just add on to what you said keaton mitchell needs to be a focal point maybe not the focal point of the offense, but he needs to be a point of emphasis as far as our offensive game plan goes. I think Harbaugh knows that. And I think Harbaugh's prepared to make that change for this week. He said that, you know, he and the coaching staff have to learn to trust a young rookie, especially a running back with more opportunities in this offense, especially after Keaton has showed us what he's shown us. I personally would love to see him get 15 total touches between rushing and catching the ball. I don't necessarily know if that's realistic or not, just kind of trying to temper my expectations as a Ravens fan. Um, however, I don't think I don't think Keaton Mitchell should walk out of this game with any less than 10 touches, both yeah. passing and running. Yeah. He needs to find ways to get him the ball. I don't care. I I am still a Todd Munkin fan. I still think Todd Munkin is very good. Um, we're we're in week eleven of the Todd Munkin era. Mm-hmm. It's it's not gonna be hundred percent all the time. He's still working towards getting to where we need to be. And I'm confident that he could do that. However, he is smart enough. And I know he's, he's comfortable enough with weapons. You look at what he did at Georgia. He is capable of 
finding ways to get good playmakers the football. He needs to do that with Keaton Mitchell, whether it's yep. whether it's running traps in the run game, whether it's doing, you know, that that little play action boot screen from under center that Keaton took for like 25 on Sunday, whether it's yep. whether it's splitting him out in the slot and getting a matchup with a linebacker in the slot or even if it's a nickel, that'll open up something for somebody else. But put him on the line of scrimmage as a receiver, right? Use him as a slot receiver. There are there are mm-hmm. ways that that Todd Munkin can get him the football that will make him and his dynamicness valuable to this offense. And and we just flat out, we need to see it more this week, just flat out. Yeah, absolutely. We got to see, we got to get him involved. And um, yeah, I, I, I still, I mean, I, you know me, I'm a big Todd Munkin guy. I trust him to get the, uh, the right guys involved and um, to have that, mm-hmm. um, to have him feed the weapons that uh, have him feed the hot hand. I think he's now mm-hmm. just realizing, okay, Zay is actually a hot hand. How can you give him the ball? I wouldn't be mm-hmm. surprised if it doesn't happen. Like if we're still early on and he has maybe six or so touches and then come out in the second half, hopefully you have a lead by then. And you see a lot of him in the second half, really get him going. Mm-hmm. I, I've noticed Todd Monk can make really good second half adjustments when it comes to out of halftime in the third quarter, getting the ball in the right people's hands. Yep. Then, so if it doesn't happen in the first couple like drives, don't panic. I guess Ravens fans just let it kind of naturally make sure and see how the game goes. Uh, we could be yep. up by then and like have a comfortable lead, but it's the Ravens. No lead is comfortable, so we don't know what's going to happen. So we'll see. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. All right, so now let's move into my keys to victory. Uh, I have a couple here. This is kind of a, a filled filled sheet just based off of what we've seen over the last week uh, from the Ravens. But anyway, here we go. First one, we've harped on it a lot this week. Uh, we have to win the battle on the trenches. I, like I said in our recap of the Browns game, I believe that that game was lost not at the end of the game. I believe that game was lost in the middle eight. If you go back and watch really all of the second quarter, but especially the last four minutes of the second quarter into the first four minutes of the third quarter, the Ravens offense struggled to move the ball. Okay. I know they had some scoring opportunities and they had some scoring drives, um, but they really struggled to have that sustained old school, long, you know, eight, 10 play drive that takes off a chunk of clock right and in fact they had it happen against them the browns had like a 17 play 10 minute drive at one point in the second half and it was it was really a backbreaker to that defense so yeah this game has to be a game where you just bully them in the trenches you have to win the war up front that's where this game i don't want to say is definitively going to be won or lost but if you win the if you win the war in the trenches it puts you in an excellent spot to win this game mainly because of, you know, the stats and, and the matchups that we mentioned a little bit ago. Establish the run early. Like I said, that'll open up the play action. That'll open up the middle of the fear, field. Maybe Mark Andrews gets involved. Maybe they focus a lot of their, you know, passing game plan on Mark Andrews, and that gets Odell and Rashad and Zay involved, right? Like, there are just so many things that stem from being able to successfully establish the run early in the game that we need to do. And again, that goes back to winning the war up front. Yep. We talked about Keaton Mitchell. I would also like to see a lot of maybe 12 personnel uh, or 22 personnel have one running back or two running backs, two tight ends on the field. Utilize Pat Ricard, utilize yep. Charlie Kohler. Also, yep. I would I'd, I'd like to see us not be afraid to use Charlie Kohler in the pass game. Right. Like if you put two uh, two tight ends on the field at the same time, I know Isaiah likely is very good and we like likely on the show. I, yep. I wouldn't hate to see him get involved either. But let's not forget that Charlie Kohler is like six foot seven. Charlie Kohler is a big son of a bitch. Don't be afraid to use him in the goal line situations. Don't be afraid to use him in, you know, short yardage situations, maybe get the ball in his hands over the middle of the field. All I'm saying, though, is 
don't be afraid to play big because I feel like in this game, you have a little bit of an advantage and playing big, bringing guys in like Kohler and Ricard, especially in rundowns and run sets, Mm -hmm. it will help make up for your offensive line being banged up. And we saw that. And we saw that last week, whenever Kohler and Ricard came in, it felt like we just had a better time moving the ball. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my first key to victory. Second key to victory Fix the coverage issues. This isn't necessarily a big one, but looking back last week, there were a couple blown assignments that left the middle of the field wide open. There was one just kind of fluky play where David Njoku came off the line and tried to chip a, a, a defender on a crossing route, and he yep. fell over. Roquan, I think it was Roquan, it was either Roquan or Patrick Queen, came off of him because he fell on the ground, and Njoku just popped back up, caught the ball, took it for like 10 over the middle of the field. That's a, yep. that's a bit of a fluke play, but... That wasn't the only instance. There were a couple other instances where guys had miscommunications in the zone, left the middle of the field wide open, which I know Baltimore's defense this year has been keep everything in front, don't give up the big play, and I'm fine with that. But the the coverage issues have to be buttoned up because we know what Joe Burrow can do when you give him time in the pocket and holes in his zone. He will pick you apart. We've seen it before. He's done it to us. Yep. Fix the coverage issues. Third key to victory. Josh, you mentioned it a little bit ago. I'm going to echo it because it rings true every single time we play the Cincinnati Bengals. You have to get Joe Burrow on the ground. Deshaun Watson, I mentioned it preview or in our recap of that game. Yeah. Credit to him because he played like a tough motherfucker. He refused to go down in that second half. Every time it felt like Clowney or Owe or Van Noy or Matabike, one of our pass rushers had him for what we expected to be just a backbreaking sack. It felt like Deshaun found a way to get out of it one way or the other. Yep. That cannot happen this week because Joe feeds off of that stuff. Joe, if you let him get a little bit of confidence, a little bit of swag, he will make it pay, make you pay for it. So if you get the opportunity, Jadevian Clowney, Adafe Owe, Kyle Van Noy, if he's out there, Michael Pierce, Justin Matabeek, any of those guys on that front, if they get their hands on him, they have to bring him down. Just have to get him on the ground. Can't give him a second life on a play because if he does that, we know how him and Jamar Chase operate, right? Like if Jamar Chase has a second opportunity to run another route on a play, it doesn't always end well for defenses. Right. Get him on the ground. And I like, like I said about Joe, he's really good under pressure. So I don't want to say, you know, you have to just send the house at him and blitz the hell out of him and put people in his face. No, I think you have to be efficient with your rushes, right? Like Mike McDonald, this is a game where you need to pull out all the stops, right? All the simulated pressures, all the crazy stunts, run them, keep your, keep the receivers in front, maintain your integrity as far as the zone goes. And for the love of God, get Joe Burrow on the ground. Yeah. Next key to victory. This one. I don't necessarily want to say it's a bigger issue, but I heard the statistic earlier uh, in the week and kind of perked my ears a little bit. I'd like to see the offense just a little bit more balanced out. And I know this may seem nitpicky based off of, you know, what we've seen Ravens offenses do over the last couple of years based off of Lamar Jackson's skill set, whatever you might want to say. Um, the, Ra- the, the reason this kind of stood out to me was because it's, it's more one-sided than I would like it to be. The Ravens offense is number two in the NFL in rush attempts per game. We're averaging 32.4 run rush attempts per game. We're number 31 in pass attempts per game. 
Now, the standard deviation on both of those statistics is not very deep, right? Like it's it's very minimal unless you're talking about, you know, the Miami Dolphins or the Washington Commanders who are averaging like 40 pass attempts a game. Yeah. The Ravens, like I said, they're averaging 32.4 running attempts and 28.4 passing attempts. So not all that far off. However, I think this is a game where you have to be confident in letting Lamar put the ball in the air 25 to 30 times. Yeah. We've we've seen Lamar play very good passing football, right? Like he's been very efficient all year outside of a couple blunders, namely the first interception that he threw on Sunday. But we know Lamar is capable of leading a team with his arm, right? And I feel like this just in turn goes back to my first point of winning the winning the battle in the trenches and establishing the run early. Because if you do that, it opens up so much in the passing game, particularly in the under center, under center pass game. So if you allow Lamar to put the ball in the air, they have to respect that, right? If you've already established the run and now Lamar's starting to throw the ball a little bit more, there's just too many things you have to account for. You add that on with all of our playmakers in the, in the pass game, right? All of our receivers, Mark Andrews. And then you couple that with the playmakers in the backfield, right? Gus Edwards, Keaton Mitchell, Justice Hill. Lamar Jackson, when he's running with the ball in his hands, it's just, I want to see the offense be more well-oiled and balanced because I feel like we're relying a little bit too much on the run game. And that kind of got exposed against the Browns when we weren't able to run the football. So be creative, Todd Munkin, find some pass sets and and route concepts, which we've seen. I, I want to be fair to Todd Munkin. He's done a very good job of this so far, but be let Lamar put the ball in the air when he needs to. I don't think we need to force Lamar to throw the ball 35, 40 right. times this game. No. Be efficient. Be clean. Don't turn the ball over, Lamar. And ultimately, this is another point that kind of goes hand in hand with this. I think we need to have, like I said, some of those long sustained drives. We do that. You keep, like you said, keep Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase off the field, which is frankly the best defense that we could play in this game against yep. their offense. And capitalize. Right. My last key to victory is just that capitalize on opportunities to score. Like I just said, Lamar has to not turn the ball over. Can't make bad interceptions. Can't put the ball on the ground. Can't fumble the ball. Have to win the turnover battle. I absolutely have to win the turnover battle. Yes. Joe Burrow has turned the ball over a few times this year. I, I feel like it's been more than we're used to seeing Joe Burrow turn the ball over. So if he gives you an opportunity, whether it's Gino, whether it's Brandon Stevens, whether it's hopefully Marcus Williams can create a turnover opportunity, right? If he's yeah. going to be out there. Create turnovers and turn them into points. This is a game where I feel like, Josh, you and I kind of talked about it on Sunday afternoon. If you're going to be aggressive and you're going to go for it on fourth downs, I feel like this is a game where that's going to be more important, right? Get your sevens. Put the pressure on them. You have to convert, obviously, if you get into those situations. But red zone efficiency is going to be under the microscope this game, and it absolutely has to turn. Every time you get into the red zone, at least the majority of the time you get in the red zone, it's got to turn into seven because if you continue to get threes and take threes on this team, you leave the door open. Joe Burrow, like I said, he feeds off of shit like that. And mm-hmm. you give him just a, a sliver of hope and, and and let him get a little bit of moxie in him. He's going to make you pay for it. So that's my last key to victory. You have to capitalize on opportunities to score and you have to finish. You have to finish yeah. drives. You have to finish plays. And ultimately, you know, the, the topic of conversation for the Ravens this week, finish the game. Right. If you get a lead in the fourth quarter, finish the game. Yeah, a Mike Tomlin quote that's been sticking out in my head, which is really I have a Mike yep. Tomlin quote stick out in my head, is that uh, this team like <laughs> doesn't 
play a full 60 minutes. And I hate to say it, but he's kind of right. When things he's right. Hit the he's absolutely right. Things are kind of going crazy. We haven't played a full 16 minutes. You have to play a full 16 minutes. You have to finish. No, none of this like blue mm-hmm. ball stuff where you start well, then don't finish at all. And you're like, oh, what happened? I don't know. Just no. Finish the game. Finish your blocks and just like finish the game. Like keep that mentality of like we are not done scoring until it, it hits triple zeros on the clock. Like absolutely. Yeah, you got to finish this game. You got to finish your drives. You got to finish blocks. Like finishing is just going to be the key, like key for all of this, basically. Finish your kicks, yeah, no. finish your blocks, all that stuff. So go for it. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. The theme of this week, on top of positive vibes, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, finish. That's that's the word. That's the operative word. Come Thursday night, finish. Um, that was all I had on the Cincinnati game. Uh, obviously, like we said, short week, big game must win if you are yep. going to the game uh the ravens said that they're going to be wearing their black on blacks if you're going to the game wear black and be loud only yep. two things i could say to you don't sell your tickets to Bengals fans they're the most obnoxious fan base i've ever had my like ears and eyes on like god i can't stand that team i can't stand that fan base poverty they're fan so base, poverty team <laughs> they're so annoying they're the worst um all right that's it for nfl football before we get out of here let's talk a little college football Let's do it. Uh, week 11, we mentioned it uh, a little bit earlier in the show. Week 11 was awesome. Um, Michigan ended up rolling through Penn State even without John uh, Jim Harbaugh on the on the sideline. Yeah. Do you uh, want to talk Josh, about that real quick? Um, Let's save that for next week because I feel like there's okay. still a lot of stuff coming out about that. So let's save that for next okay. week. But yeah, okay. there's there's that's an interesting situation. Um, awesome. Alabama steamrolled Kentucky. That was I was not expecting that. Um, that. I, I was expecting that to be a close game, kind of like you alluded to last week. Uh, and Alabama, Nick Saban, Jalen Milrow, all the boys just said, you know what? Nope, we are still Alabama. And what we do is we beat SEC teams. Um, speaking of SEC, another game that I think you called last week, Mizzou absolutely dog walked Tennessee. I I like Tennessee. Um, I think Joe Milton is talented. He gives me Jameis Winston vibes a little bit, um, but I think he's talented. I was not expecting that at all. I was not expecting Missouri to do what they did to Tennessee. That was um, that was eye opening to say the least. No, Missouri is actually really good at football. Yeah, and they're actually like the crazy thing is they're actually keeping their talent in home, like home now. So like a mm-hmm. lot of like four and five stars from Missouri are actually committing to Missouri. So I wouldn't, I would not, I don't think this will be a flash in the pan for Missouri considering they keep if they keep their coaches stuff like that. I think you can see them mm-hmm. being semi competitive for a while. So. Wow. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Good for them. Uh, I know a guy that we went to high school with. Shout out Damon Hazelton. He was at Missouri for a little bit. Um, yes, he was. It's it's a it's not a bad program, man. And it's just it's unfortunate that they're in the conference that they are and, you know, just kind of where they are. But yeah, man, Missouri's got talent. And if they can if they can put stuff together, they they could, you know, put themselves in position to to be real bowl contenders come come year in and year out. Um. Game of the week, at least for me, last week, Utah and Washington. That was a that was a bit of a shootout. Utah held their own. I thought Utah yeah. was going to end up pulling that game out, but I think Washington ended up winning by six or seven. Nevertheless, really good game. Um, mm-hmm. And the last game that I had my eye on uh, last week, I believe it was the the last game of the day, or at least one of the last games of the day. Oregon playing USC. Bo Nix just absolutely lights up that USC defense, which I guess to this point really isn't saying much, but right. After that game, he's become the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman, um, which I don't know how I feel about it. 
Um, a lot of people are on the uh, Jaden Daniels train. I I personally think Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best playmaker in college football. He, If I had a vote, if I'm going to put my Heisman vote haver hat on, he would get it. But Jaden Daniels having a very good year. And I feel like uh, LSU not being in conversation is more out of his hands than it is in his hands. But anyway, right. I digress. Yeah, uh, that was that that was pretty much the wrap up as far as uh, what I was paying attention to in week 11. Oh, uh, another game I want to give a shout out to because I caught the end of this. UNC Duke had a phenomenal game. Yes. Um, that game went to double overtime. Uh, Jordan Moore, Loyola Don, yep. absolute stud. Like, absolute stud. He scored, like, what could have been was the game tying touchdown. I think it was like 12 seconds left or something crazy like that. Had the touchdown yeah. overtime that, that would have extended it. They got the two point conversion. This kid is an absolute athlete. He's a great football yes. player. He is really good. He's so good. He's making me say nice things about Duke. Um, North Carolina <laughs> got the job done. Uh, the environment in Chapel Hill looked electric. I know the fans stormed the field after. I saw mm-hmm. like a weird stat. Mac Brown has not lost to Duke as a UNC co- like as a UNC coach in two stats. Wow. So that was a interesting like thing. I know the UNC like team isn't playing as high as the level as we thought they were after like a couple. They lost some games they should have won. I thought. Yeah. But they're that's interesting still considering Mac Mac Brown is always good for like one or two inexplicable losses at least per season. So hey. It, UNC and Duke, they don't like each other more than just on a basketball court. So right, it's more <laughs> than them, basketball. It's more than just basketball. More than just lacrosse. They do not like each other in anything. So yeah, yeah. great. And it was a great football um, game. So it, yeah, no, it absolutely was. I didn't, I didn't watch much of that game, but I was able to catch the highlights uh, afterwards. And yeah, I was, I was disappointed that I missed it. But yeah, shout out Jordan Moore, man. That kid is balling. Uh, I don't know what year he is. I want to say he's probably a sophomore. Um, but anyway, he's a sophomore or junior at this point. Um, yeah, whenever whenever exactly. he's whenever he's eligible, I mean, he's going to get NFL buzz because that kid is electrifying. I um, I wouldn't mind seeing him in Baltimore. I would not mind seeing absolutely that kid in Baltimore. not. Absolutely not. I would love I would love bringing him home. That would be awesome. Uh, but anyway, looking ahead at Week Twelve, not uh, not a great slate compared to some of the previous weeks. There were a couple games that I had my eye on. Uh, first one just feels like a classic. Uh, ACC matchup Louisville going into Miami. Uh, this Louisville team is is better than they've been in years prior. Really, since Lamar Jackson has been there, I feel like this is maybe the best team that they've had. Um, as as we remember, as I remember, at least they beat Notre Dame a few weeks ago, uh, which is not an easy feat. Uh, going into Miami, Miami coming off that Florida State loss, they're a one and a half point favorite. Uh, that'll be an interesting one. Another one that I'm watching, Pac-12, maybe our favorite team on the show, uh, Utah is going into Arizona. Arizona's a one-and-a-half-point favorite as well. Arizona just came off uh, a win at – who did they beat last? Oh, Colorado. They edged out Colorado, yeah. I think, by like three points yeah. or something. It was a tight one, but they got the win. That'll be a fun one to watch, uh, Utah's defense versus Arizona's offense. And then, in my opinion, the game of the week, which I think you're going to agree with me on this one, Oregon State is hosting Washington. Josh, you've said it on the on the show a number of times. Weird things happen in Corvallis. This one feels like it has weird things written all over it. Michael Penix, Washington having two first-round receivers, all the love that Washington's got this year. Oregon State, I feel like some people are kind of talking about them, but not enough people, right? Like it's it's more about their defense, they're running the ball, but I feel like nobody's really given them a real shot in the Pac-12. A lot of people thought game day was going to be at this game. Game day is going to JMU, which is awesome for JMU. Shout out to them. They are. Um, I didn't know that. Wow. They are. Yeah. I think that news huh. came out yesterday. 
Um, okay. But yeah, game day is going to JMU, which will be sick. But uh, yeah, Oregon State versus Washington versus Washington is my game of the week this week. Yeah, I can agree more. Uh, I keep saying this every week. It feels like this is the week Washington loses. Um, I'm a mush apparently <laughs> to Washington, uh, but I actually do think in Corval as a seven thirty a night, this is a game that Washington can lose. Mm-hmm. Um, Oregon State's good at football. DJ Lee Younglay is having a great year, kind of flying under the radar with how good of a yep. year he's having. He's made a great name for himself out there in Corvallis. Oregon State's a really good team. They have a tough defense. I would not be surprised if they win that game uh, at all. Um, I, I'm I right think, there with you. Yeah, another game that I think is going to be an upset, Clemson, uh, North Carolina at Clemson. Clemson. Oh, yes, I saw that. Yep. Say what you want about Clemson this year. They're not great. They're kind of bad or whatever. All those things. Hey, they beat Notre Dame. They beat Notre Dame, um, and they're a tough place to play in Death Valley, uh, the fake Death Valley, but still, still a tough place to play. <laughs> um, and North Carolina, like you said, Mac Brown has tendencies to like kind of slip up. Um, this Georgia-Tennessee game, I want it to be interesting just because it's at Tennessee, and I know Tennessee's a good football team. I just think Georgia's just that much better than Tennessee. Um yeah, I don't expect this game to be close by halftime, honestly. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that. And I didn't realize the JMU matchup until you said something. I mean, I just saw it like a minute before mm-hmm. you said something. JMU undefeated right now, 10-0. and um, Really good football team. They had some scary loss, like some scary games here and there. App State, you know the history of App State. They show up for these games. It's kind of a rivalry yep. game between the two schools. As they call this like the Blue Ridge mm-hmm. rivalry or something. Game day being there does change things for me. I think JMU can win this game. Um, mm-hmm. They probably will win this game, but I don't know. I just think App State might be my ups- one of my other upsets of the week. Um, I don't. I don't think that's a bad take, man. Like you said, App State tends to get up for things like this, and especially with game day there, I feel like that's going to amplify it a little bit. JMU is very good, but JMU is really game. good at football, and game day is also there. So it's like, hey, they're mm-hmm. back. Like, right. This also could be the. This also could be the. Uh, I can't get what I want, so I'm going to punish this person. Like, I'm going to punish them instead. JMU, as of now, not eligible for a bowl game, which I think is stupid. Which is, which is a terrible rule, by the way. So dumb. Yeah, I, I, someone way smarter than me is going to have to explain it to me, like, I'm five and make it make sense. <laughs> yeah, same. I, I might have to ask some friends, be like, hey, you guys are smart in college athletics. Make this make sense. So they deserve a bowl. This is not even come from a JMU fan. They just deserve a bowl game. They're a really good I team. Agree. They're fun to watch. Give them a bowl to be in, and people will watch it if they like if they play in it. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens. I even think that like they're probably getting shot out of a New Year Six bowl. Granted, I think you know, selfishly speaking, as a school who's also looking to try to get a New Year Six bowl as a long shot, like I mean, they're just as equally deserving of it as we are as Liberty. Um, mm-hmm. You know. I mean, I know it's crazy if they're not playing in a bowl. They deserve better. That fan base is a is a decent fan base and a good fan base actually. They deserve better. So we'll see what happens um, in the future. But yeah, that should be a really fun game to watch, for sure. Yeah, that'll definitely be a fun game to watch. I don't know much about other uh, both of those teams. All that outside of uh, JMU is really good, uh, and App State loves to play under a spotlight. Um, yeah. I I personally hope that game's going to be a shootout. But nevertheless, I'm expecting that to be a really good one as well. I think it will be just because both these teams do like to score a lot of points in App State. I can't remember App State. I never saw App State. be like, wow, they're playing really great defense. <laughs> no, wow, App State scoring 48 points against North Carolina or App State scoring 50 points. Like, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Um, again, rivalry games, weird things happen. Game day's also there, weird things happen. But it should be a good football game to watch nonetheless. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So, hey, like I said, 
it's not a great slate in college football, but you know, to echo the sentiment of one big cat, um, each of us has a finite amount of football games that we will watch in our lives. That number only gets smaller as the days go on. So appreciate them while we got them. Absolutely. I can agree more. So I'm watching Maxion right now on the Tuesday night. So <laughs> shout out Maxion. Shout out Maxion. Uh, all right, brother. I think that wraps up the show. Thank you as always for joining me, Josh. I can't thank you enough. Appreciate the hell out of you, my man. Uh, oh, let's, like I said, Oh yeah, go ahead. What you got? Last thing I meant to mention this about the, uh, the Bengals game and Ravens game, a couple of my like little predictions. I know I have to famous like Colt of the 24 points last time, uh, the two, four, two, four for listeners. If you remember a couple mm-hmm. months ago with that Orioles race series, the number that's been sticking out in my mind this year is 31 uh, for this okay. week. If we score 31 points, we win this game. Um, I don't see this. I don't see the Bengals offense being able to score 31 points, over 30 points against this defense. I know the Browns just did it. Mm-hmm. I know. We have circumstances where things happening. But I'm thinking uh, 31 points for the Ravens, 34 points for the Ravens for sure wins this game. That's just my number to kind of look out for. So just some yeah, look out I, for, for the, for the game. I, I think that's a safe prediction for sure. I think if you do that, you put a lot of pressure on their offense. And, you know, if their offense offense isn't well balanced, like I said, I think they're dead last or bottom three in the league in rushing. So just puts more pressure on them. But, yeah, I think that's a safe bet. So, yeah, that's it. Right. I guess with that, I'm good. That's all she wrote. Josh, thank you as always, my friend. Go you, Ravens. Uh, if you're at the bank, be loud and wear black. And until next week, fellas, peace. All right. Last order of business, as always, NFL week 11 best bets. And then we'll get y'all out of here for the rest of the week into a weekend. Hopefully we'll be celebrating a Ravens dub this weekend. But nevertheless, let's get these best bets out of the way first. First game, I don't normally pick the Ravens games, but I'm going to do that here. I'm not picking a side. I'm going to take the under 46. This thing really just boils down to two main points for me. The first being primetime unders trend. I think they're like 23 and nine or something on the season so far. Um, And also the fact that both of these teams are banged up. Josh and I mentioned the injuries on both sides of the ball. Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, uh, T Higgins, mainly uh, for the, for the Bengals. And then obviously for the Ravens, no Marcus, uh, excuse me, not Marcus Williams, Ronnie Stanley, no Marlon Humphrey. There are a couple of other guys that are pretty banged up, might not be at a hundred percent come Thursday. Um, Short weeks, primetime unders, Sloppy product because guys can't recover for the full week like they usually do. So I'm going to play the under 46. I feel like this number is just too high. Second pick I got for y'all, Chargers-Packers. I have a feeling this game is going to be ugly. No reason to pick this game, uh, but I'm going to. I'm going to lay the three with the Chargers. I'm not in love with it. Um, However, just for eye test purposes, I don't know what this Packers team is. Um, I don't really know who they are. I don't know what their identity is. They don't run the ball when it feels like they should be running the ball more. Jordan Love has some flashes of really good moments, but others where he's just unable to complete the layups. Um, So I'm going to lay the three with the Chargers here. Going into it a little bit further, the Chargers are 12th in the NFL against the run, so not bad. Uh, Packers are the 21st ranked rushing offense. I feel like if they can make the Packers one-dimensional, uh, it might bode well for them. I know the Chargers defense is last in the NFL in passing yards. The Packers are the 19th ranked passing offense, so it's not like you're working with a ton there, at least when it goes back to last week uh, when I was on the Lions for the same exact reason. The Lions at least had a passing offense to speak of. Uh, the Packers, just like I said, Jordan Love really hasn't shown me much uh, that makes me believe he can exploit them. 
So I'm going to lay the three at the Packers here, but again, I don't love it. My next pick, Jaguars-Titans, AFC South divisional game. Not picking a side in this one either. Not really feeling like laying six and a half with the Jaguars here or taking it with the Titans. I'm going to take the over 40. Um, Both of these teams struggle stopping the pass. They're decent against the run. So to me, this is a play on the value with a low number and also two quarterbacks who have potential to put the ball in the air and do so quite often uh, with not great pass defenses on either side, but good run defenses. They're not going to be able to dictate the time of possession as much. If you can't get the run game going, you can't sustain long drives. You can't bleed clock when you want to. Um, I think this is, like I said, just more so a play on the number and the value than anything. I feel like the number's too low. So I'm going to take the over 40. Uh, I also lean as a prop play here. I lean to both quarterbacks over on passing yards for the same reason. Last game, I have two picks in this game as well. Eagles at Chiefs, Monday nighter. First pick, going back to the well, under 46 and a half. Once again, primetime unders. Um, Also, there's a stat going around the NFL where unders are just hitting at a ridiculous clip when both teams have eight days or more of rest. Both of these teams fall in that category coming off a bye week. Also, the Chiefs sneakily have a really good uh, defense, one of the best defenses in the NFL. They're number four against the pass, and they're number 17 against the run. Philly likes to run the ball a, a lot, which does concern me slightly here. But going back to the point that I made about the Jaguars and Titans game, if Philly decides to run the ball a ton, doesn't throw the ball a ton, uh, that's going to take more time off the clock, less opportunity to score points. Also, Eagles defense is 28th first the pass and first against the run. So pretty much to the opposite point there, allowing Patrick Mahomes to throw the ball. That can either be really, really good or not so good. Obviously, we've seen Patrick Mahomes be incredible with his arm. Uh, however, he hasn't, I don't think he's gone over 250 or 275 yards in quite some time. And the Eagles secondary can make plays when needed to. Uh, plus, they have a really good pass rush, as we all know. So this one is more so, again, to the primetime unders, but uh, two pretty decent defenses here. I'm going to play the under 46 and a half. Feels too high. Uh, I also lean to the Eagles plus three there. I feel like these teams are really close. Uh, taking the dog doesn't feel like a bad play. Also, Nick Sirianni being an underdog, having that dog mentality. uh, I feel like there's some value there as well. Those are my best bets. NFL week 11. Uh, As always, I will have more come Sunday morning. I'll have the intern put them out. Uh, Let me know what you guys are playing. Tweet out your picks, tweet me, tweet the intern. Um, Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, Maybe we can, uh, maybe we can share some insights with each other. All right, y'all. Thank you as always for joining us. Catch y'all next week. Peace.
me to you I can't hide from the truth Drop my eye, pull me closer I can't lie, I'm me to you I can't hide from the truth Drop my eye, pull me closer yeah. Never 